All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Life Church. We are so thankful that you are with us this morning here at New Life, where we aim to make Jesus the center of our life, our church, and our community. It's a blessing to be able to be worship with you today and stand before you today. Well, this morning we are beginning a, a new series um, that is built on our core values here at New Life Church. These are some biblically-based all of them are biblically-based values. We have six core values that, that, we, um, that we look to and that help us and help steer us forward together in our faith as a church. And uh, last week, we're coming off the heels of Heart for the House weekend last Sunday. What a great day. Uh, celebrating so many things over the course of 2022. Um, Eleven water baptisms. Uh, several memberships of our church, lots of things, lots of highlights, wonderful things that God did in, in our life, God did in our church, and God did through our church. And I'm thankful for each and every single one of you who are members here, who are uh, calling home uh, here at New Life, and thank you for your continued steadfastness and your faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. And uh, as we look ahead in 2023, and, uh, and so to set... Uh, the next few weeks up, we have, um, uh, we're going to be looking at, at these core values. We're going to be taking a deep dive into these. And let me just set it up this way. Romans 14, Paul writes this kind of a good summation of where we're headed over these next few weeks. It says, Romans 14, 17 through 18 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food or drink. But is in the realm of the Holy Spirit, where we are filled with righteousness, filled with peace, and filled with joy. Amen. Serving the anointed one, Jesus, by walking in these kingdom realities, pleases God and earns the respect of others. So these core values are some kingdom realities of our church that God um, has put in our life as a church family, as a, as, a, as a body of faith to help steer us forward. And so we're going to take a deep dive into each one of these core values over these next few weeks. And as we do, it's, it's our hope and it's our prayer that we will all be strengthened and encouraged in these and gain greater revelation from God's word on who we are and who he's called us to be and how he has called us to live our lives until his second coming. Amen. So to help get things started today, I've asked one of our elders, James Pittman, uh, who's going to come and he's going to kick us off with the first core value today. It's, being, it's called kingdom minded. And I'll let James take it from there. Let's welcome James. Got, got my fans in the back. They're paid to be here. Um, good morning, y'all. And getting ready for this, the Lord made it very clear that today is, is pretty important for at least one person in this room, but I believe it's a seminal moment for our church. So I, I don't say that to put pressure on you, but I say that to say that the Lord has prepared the way up until now to start probably this series to be impactful in your lives and to empower you. Because as Jeremy pointed out in that verse, we don't have a powerless gospel. The gospel, Jesus is alive and at work and has empowered us 
to walk in this world upright with our heads up in the power and authority of heaven and not to be victims of our circumstances. Now, that, if that is a foreign concept to you, hang on with me as we walk through kingdom-minded. I'm going to read you what our core value says about kingdom-mindedness, and we will go from there. Kingdom-minded. We value the ways of God's kingdom over the ways of the world in our life. His ways and thoughts are higher and better than ours. We are submitted to the spiritual authority, pastors, elders, and leaders in our church. As an individual and as a family and as a church, and as a church family, we are determined to express God's ways in our everyday lives to the point people to point people to and show people Jesus. So that's a lot of words. That's a lot of words to say that where we come from, where our, the core of who we are is Christ. And that we believe what he's said about who we are. The beauty of all this is it's not some kind of positive, reinforced thinking you've got to just grit down and bare your teeth about. It's written down. The Bible reinforces what the gospel has done in your life to reestablish you as a new creation and to empower you to walk out partnership with heaven, not against it, not under it, not above it, from heaven. We get to live here from heaven. And we get to bring heaven to earth. And when you embrace this concept of who you are in Christ and you begin to live this out, you'll walk on water in the middle of the storm. So what we're going to talk about today is identity. Because this, all, this is the foundation for everything else. If identity is not something that you have, have made Christ in your life, if your identity is something else, it's trash. <laughs> it's the easiest way to say it. Just rip it off. Yeah. And trash attracts rodents. It attracts bugs. It attracts all kinds of dumb stuff. And Christ, through his death and resurrection, has taken out the trash. <laughs> that came out, that just, just was right now. You're welcome. <laughs> He's taken out the trash. And once we begin to walk out kingdom-mindedness, once we get, begin to walk out Christ as our identity, all this other stuff in our life will lose power. I'm not saying it's not a process you're going to have to put eff- not put effort into. There's going to be effort because to change the way you think is a Holy Spirit operation. You're going to have to commune with Holy Spirit and ask him what he thinks about you and what he thinks about your circumstances. And you're going to have to believe what he says. So when we talk about identity, we talk about what defines you. Where does your worth come from? Is there a sacred cow in your life that's not Jesus from where you define your worth? For me, work was one of those things in my life. If I did a good job 
or I took pride in my work, but to a point that I worshiped work, and that is what defined me. And when I failed or perceived I failed in that task, my whole world ended. Identity is formed in statements that begin with I am. I am, fill in the blank. We use this a lot. We use this loosely in our day-to-day. Maybe it's a job. I am an elder at New Life Church. I am, I was, a paramedic. I am so-and-so. You might say it, you might say it in jest when you're talking to other people. I am depressed. I am Grieved, I am, pick a thing. We make those statements from what we've attached our identity to. And I'm not saying you've got to walk around with these rules in mind. There's like, oh, make sure I don't say I'm depressed or I'm sad or I'm angry or whatever it is. But watch what you're saying I am to. Watch where that comes from. Because the Lord likes to bring those things up so we can address them. I am statements. So as part of identity, we need to clearly understand, and we're going to walk through Scripture, and we're going to walk through some I am statements that are true because Scripture gives them to us. And they're going to clarify some areas. They're going to clarify who am I to God. They're going to clarify who is God to me. And it's going to ask the question, where am I in relation to the gospel? That's weird. Just dwell on that for a minute. Because the gospel, in its entirety, is a process. The gospel is accomplished and finished in Christ, but it empowers us to go through a transformation. The gospel takes us from pre cross to post cross and perspectives change so we're going to start i've got one two three four five five i am statements that we're going to talk about that are true and each builds on the other the first one is i am loved That one's easy. We're in church. I'm loved. Everybody can agree with that. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Love came first. Romans 5.8 But God showed his great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still, still sinners. Now, I want you to see the important context of while we were still sinners. There was not a prerequisite. I'll love you when you get to this place. I'll love you when you don't sin so much. I'll love you when you earn your way to this position. He said, I love you. That was, the, that was the starting point. I love you. You are loved. I am loved. 
John 17, 22 through 23. Now, I'll give you some context here. Jesus is praying, and he is speaking of the disciples that will come after the twelve. And he is praying. So how many of you know when Jesus prays to the Father, his prayers get answered? Amen? If you doubt that, I can't help you. (laughs) He was given the Spirit without measure. When he prays, his prayers get answered. Somebody say he loves me. That's right. John 17, Jesus is praying about us. I have given them the glory you gave me. Mm. Thank you, Lord. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. Here's the kicker. And that you love them. That them is referring to us. That you love them as much as you love me. Woo! The Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. I don't... I, I just, I'm just going to sit down now. The Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. What? Now we're going to come back to this because this is hard to embrace. I say it from experience. Furthermore, since he loves us like he loves Jesus, we are able to make these statements about ourselves from Mark chapter 1. When Jesus is baptized in the Jordan and he comes back up, Mark chapter 1 verse 10. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split apart and the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Matthew 3.17, same account, same story, same place. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. You can say that of yourself. Adjust it if you're female. Daughter, not son. You can pray, thank you, Lord, that I am your dearly loved son or daughter who brings you great joy. And that's a true statement. You know why? Because he loves me. Like he loves Jesus. You are loved. I am loved. Now we're going to look back on the three Sundays before this where Jeremy's laying out how the devil's a liar and how he attacks all these points. And that has built up to now so that you can see what the enemy's doing. And here are some places you can go when the enemy says, you're not loved. And you don't go, wait. I am loved. It says it right here. Each of these statements is a tool for you to exercise 
when the enemy whispers the opposite. We're going to break some strongholds today. Amen? I am loved. The next one, I am forgiven. Oh, we know that one too. That word's a, that's word popular in church. That's what you just put on the sign. I for, everybody forgiven. Yeah, we know that. That's what the Bible says. But you for real are. No, no, no. But for real. You are. I am forgiven. Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What does condemnation look like? That's defining you by your sin. That's coming and saying, oh, I see what you've done. Of course you did that. This is who you are. Of course you screwed up. Of course you sinned in that way. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are loved and we are forgiven. And when we come back to the throne of grace, God says, what sin? That's not who you are. And has grace often enough to soften or all out remove the worldly consequence. He's done it for me and I've been mad about it. Lord, punish me. I deserve punishment. He's like, this is what grace is. And I was like, I don't like it. No, thank you. (laughs) I'd like something else. (laughs) He's but you're forgiven. I was like, well, that doesn't make me feel better. Ain't nobody in here had that problem. You are forgiven. And because he forgave you, we're supposed to freely forgive others. I would, re- I, would, I would propose that others include yourself. Mm, didn't touch nobody's buttons there. I have to say out loud sometimes, I'm forgiven and I forgive me. So this is a lot of times where the gospel is familiar to us, this I am loved and I am forgiven. We hear that in church. We've put a lot of effort into telling people, Jesus loves you, he died for your sins, you're forgiven. And we've boiled the gospel down to a ticket to heaven that you just are praying for while the world goes to heck in a handbasket. Lord, take us now. It's getting bad down here. But the prayer of Christ, the example of prayer of Christ is, Your will on earth as it is in heaven. We are ambassadors from the kingdom, not to stand up and point at everybody and say, look at at all the messed up stuff you're doing. We are to shine brightly and attract people to Christ and go there. He fixes everything. And we've neutered the gospel to the Lord's forgiven you, and here's your ticket to heaven. Show up to church so he feels good about you. But that's not what the word says. John 17 says he loves me like he loves Christ because of what Christ has done. There's no disappointing gaze. He's not looking down on me going, I knew you'd do that. I'm his beloved son in whom he has great joy. If you've got kids, you'll understand sometimes they'd be doing some dumb things. Some dumb things. But right after you put them to bed, after a whole three-day ice storm at home time, 
you put them to bed, and man, they could have been just been riding your last nerve the whole day, and you're just like, you just see them, you're just like, I love you, and you walk out, and you're like, I can't say the words I'm thinking, like, I love you, you little person who does bad things sometimes. But you begin to reflect on the joy and delight you have in them, the person who trashed your whole house and only asked for snacks and fought with their siblings every second of three days. (laughs) I want a snack. She's touching me. She won't share. I can talk about my kids right now. They're not in service yet. When they get older, I'm going to have to back off. Nobody here has lived that. We're forgiven. We're loved. We're forgiven. The third thing. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Back up. John 8, verse 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again. He's so, so context. This is the woman caught in adultery. This is the lady who was caught mid-grown-up activity. And they have dragged her out. I can only assume that she was maybe in a robe. They have dragged her to, to Jesus. If anybody has got a reason to be condemned, it's this lady. And she is feeling, likely feeling, the shame and guilt and fear of what she knows the law says, that she is supposed to get stoned. John 8, but Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. This is your forgiveness. When you come to Christ and you say, Lord, I've screwed up, here it is. He goes, does anyone here accuse you? Well, no, I'm I'm talking to you. There's nobody here. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's what Jesus says to you when you mess up. And he doesn't record the sin in his book and be like, we'll talk about this later. There's going to be some process and there's going to be consequences, natural consequences to our actions. And there's going to be processes of transformation. But that's what we're going to talk about. Because you are forgiven, you are, or excuse me, you are loved and you're forgiven The third statement, I am a new creation, free from sin. This is where it was left off for me. Jesus was a, Jesus saves you, he forgives you, here's your ticket to heaven. All right, make sure you show up on Sunday and you serve. And uh, you've got pretty decent attendance and you tithe, then you'll be good. Then Jesus will high five you at the end of your life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we believe in the Lord, when we are baptized, we go, we are, we, we symbolize our death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. What you need to understand about I'm a new creation is you are completely new. God has made you a new creation from the inside out. 
He has made you new. I am a new creation. What does that mean? That means he's, he's recreated us. He does not come to us and slap forgiven over our sinner name tag. We don't come to the cross because there are two identities. You have, you have two in this process of coming to the gospel. You are a sinner in need of grace. And then you come to Jesus and you die and are brought to life as a new creation. And he doesn't just scribble out sinner on your name tag. He changes your whole being and he names you again. And he says, you're now reborn. Your name is saint. Your name is son. Your name is daughter. This is important. Let it sink in. God does not look at you with your past. You are reborn. Day one. You are a new creation. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Come down to verse 20 of the same chapter. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Now, I, could, I, I struggled when, in preparing this message because I could just sit here and read you Romans and Colossians. And these are, Colossians is real short. If you've not read Colossians, sit down with Colossians. It's good. We're going to quote it again. But you are a new creation. God has removed your sinful nature. A lot of people, to include myself, have been caught up in the, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. And you focus, you walk through life with Jesus, and your focus is, please don't mess up. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't sin. Well, your mind can't comprehend the negative. Don't think about elephants. Just, just full of elephants. Don't sin. Well, why am I only thinking about sin? Focus your attention to Jesus. And just think about Jesus. And think about the truth of what he's done in your life. He's removed your sinful nature. You're not bound to it anymore. If you're struggling today, if you have habitual sin in your life, you're not bound to it. You're not controlled by it. Christ has removed that portion of you, and he wants to show that to you. Part of walking that out is declaring this truth in your life when you encounter it. When you believe God has removed your sinful nature and you step off, if you sin, not when, if you sin, it was, Lord, this doesn't, Lord, I'm here. Here I am. You've said I'm loved. You said I'm forgiven. You said I'm a new creation free from sin. This is not who I am, Lord. I give you that. You might have to say that a hundred thousand times. I don't, I'm not here to tell you it's going to be an overnight fix. But God began to reveal to me, even in the depth of my addiction to pornography and lust, that I was not those things. And when I came out and I was infatuated with 
the word. And when I was with him in prayer and I wasn't going to those things, he revealed, he said, I, as you spend time with me in Colossians three, it talks about as you get to know your creator, he transforms you. As you spend time with God, Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. Suddenly you're different because you've spent time with God and he's holy and his holiness overpowers everything else. You don't have to grit your teeth and try to lift the weight of your sin. It's not there. Somebody say amen. You're free from sin. That's not taken into account when God looks at you. God is not worried about your sin. He took care of that. Done. Finished. More and more, when I screw up and I come to the Lord, he's like, okay, we, okay cool. We've done that. Let's, let's get back on track. Let's not sit in this. There is a godly sorrow that follows our repentance. But that godly sorrow draws us to the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, get back up. Let's go. Let's move forward. I am a new creation, free from sin. The fourth statement, I am righteous. We talked about it a little bit. We walk around and we wear our old sinner name tag. I'm just a sinner, just a sinner. We don't want to sound proud. We want to, this false humility that, that says, I don't want to sound too boasty. I don't want to inflate my own importance. But the truth of what the word says is that you are righteous and he has removed your sin. So why is that a controversial statement? Colossians 1.22, this is a favorite verse of mine. If, you've not, if you're not familiar with this verse, this is a verse I go to a lot. This is a good verse to have on hand. You would think I would memorize it, but I, I botch it most of the time. Colossians 1.22, yet now... He has reconciled you to himself, he being God. God, independent of your action, reconciled you to himself. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's who you are. That last line. Keep that up, Todd. What's that last line? You stand before him without a single fault. What? Did nobody tell me that? I'm just a sinner. You stand before him without a single fault. In your sin, you said yes to Jesus. Christ came, did his thing, finished it. It is finished. God snatched you up, sprayed you off, put you in his own presence. You didn't do a darn thing, but say yes to Jesus. I believe it. And because of Christ's work, You have taken off your old nature and you put on righteousness. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 20, excuse me, 21 through 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, instead of keeping your old nature, we're going to throw it away. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Who renews them? The Spirit. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Take off the old Put on the new. I saw this a while back in Isaiah 5.18. It says, What sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies. Who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. Anybody been there? Just dragging your past with ropes made of lies. The rope's a lie. Your attachment to your past is a lie. Let go of it. Burn it. Let go of the rope. It's not yours to hold. Jesus took it already. When the enemy comes and says, this is who you are, look what you did back here, you go, no, 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 no. Here in Colossians it says, I stand before him without a single fault. That's what it says. It's written down. It's in the book. It's been there the whole time. You ever read a piece of the Bible and you're just like, this has been in there the whole time. How am I just now finding it? This has been here the whole time. You are righteous. Somebody, everybody say, I'm righteous. Oh, that feels weird, doesn't it, when you first start saying it? What? I don't know. I've heard I'm a sinner. You were? Not anymore. I'm righteous. You are loved, forgiven. You're a new creation free from sin, and you are righteous. It's what the the Bible says. It's what the gospel does. He brings us from sinner and transforms us into righteous son or daughter, child of God. The last statement is, I am God's son or daughter, whichever is applicable to you. You get to say that. I am God's Son. Romans 8, verses 15. Megan, you can come on up whenever. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fear, fearful slaves. We're going to stop there for a minute. What does I'm a sinner? How, does, how do we relate to God when we feel like sinners? Fearful slaves. Afraid of what the master who doesn't value us, might punish us. How he might punish us for not performing. That's a fearful slave. But right here it says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. If we go back, the spirit renews our thoughts and attitudes. This is immediately available to you. You just have to say, Holy Spirit, renew my thoughts and attitudes. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, 
in replacement of, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now you call out Abba, Father. Abba is a term of endearment. It's daddy. It's dad. It's that word you have for your father. And for those of you who don't have an example of a good father, you're going to have to trust and associate that in a different way. Think of calling your mother mommy. But your father says, you can call me dad. For the, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Holy Spirit in you affirms, affirms, reinforces that you are God's child. So when the enemy comes to say, you're not really, he doesn't like you. But it says right here that I'm his child and he loves me. I am loved, I am forgiven, I'm a new creation, I am righteous, I am God's son or daughter. They all work together to make John 17 make sense. So we go back and look at it again. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Makes a whole lot of sense when you see what the gospel's done to transform you from the old into the new. God loves you like he loves Jesus. And that's not, that's a statement you can shout. He loves me like he loves Jesus. There's a song that the Lord reminded me of by the group. It's, I guess it's a 90s song. But Blessed Union of Souls. She likes me for me. She likes me for me. God likes you for you. And whenever the enemy comes to whisper or the distractions come or the circumstances come or you find yourself in tragedy, you get to come back and go, I am a child of God. Lord, I know this feels terrible and I am walking through this process, but you've seen this before and you go before me, Lord. You've seen this ahead of time. You have a plan because I'm your child. You haven't not prepared a thing for me. You haven't not kept provision in mind as I walk through this thing. Thank you. You can say with genuine gratitude, thank you in the middle of the storm because he has affirmed you. He has affirmed you at his, as his child. And he loves you like he loves Jesus. Why wouldn't he prepare the way? This is a big deal. This is where this is where my whole life changed. 
when we encounter the power, the true power of God's love, not just talk, not a bunch of ideas that we have to implement, but to live, to live in the rest of Holy Spirit transforming us. So I want to invite you today. I don't know what this looks like. If this is something that you feel has impacted you or you would otherwise like to receive prayer or respond in any way, we're going to take a moment now and a, and a few of our leaders are going to be up here and we will pray for you. We will pray that the Lord seals this in your heart, that you begin to become transformed, transformed and renewed in your mind as you as you continue to know your creator and that the lies and the ropes of your past would be broken. He loves you like he loves Jesus. So guys, I guess Jeremy, Lindsay, Van, if you want to come up too. Um, If you want prayer, if you want to come up here because you feel that you want to respond and affirm this in your life, we're here to do that now. Megan's going to play. If you want to sing, Megan, you can, or you don't even have a mic. Don't worry about it. Megan's going to play. Pray, play. Everybody pray. I'm, I'm so good at this. But if you feel the need to respond, come up here. Come up here. God wants to do something in your life.
Anybody else? I want to encourage you just to, to, to go after it. The Lord wants to respond to you, and sometimes we got to come to Him. to do.